Blog Talk Radio. excited now we've had some really really amazing guests we've had uh, guest musicians we've had food experts we've had of course uh, folks uh, involved with Kentucky athletics but it's it, it's pretty rare that you get a legend on on the show and, and that's that's what we have today and I'm I'm excited absolutely you I mean, like you said um, comedians, Roy Wood Jr. is on the correspondent on the Daily Show. He's been on with us, but our guest tonight trumps everyone. I think he might be. Oh, maybe not. Looks like they they might have been chiming in. Uh, we'll see if some, the call comes back in just a second. But we said it last week. The biggest guest in the history of the show to date will be on this Wednesday. We weren't able to confirm it, or we would have mentioned it last week. But, like I said, we've had big-time Kentucky guests, big-time media, former players, coaches, uh, musicians, comedians, like I said, food, uh, critics. Uh, Dana Falk has a food spike. tweet about food. We got her on. But Dickie V coming up at 6'10". Is the guest of all guests, man. That's right. That's right. Just a. Uh, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. And I know he's uh, he he's always excited. Uh, I've got a chance to see him at a couple of the games that I've got to cover, and and he is excitement, especially for college basketball, and uh, with his charity work as well. So definitely looking forward to. Uh, as you say, chopping it up a little bit with uh, with Dickie V. Yeah, yeah, and I'm looking forward to meeting him at a couple of games like you have already done. So, um, we got my dad calling in on hold. He can listen when Dick calls in. Shout out to my dad, Mel Hardy. So, um, I think a few more buddies from home are going to call in and listen to the show tonight. Just got that kind of buzz. Everybody's excited about Dickie V coming on. You yourself, the Twitter extraordinaire that you are, the Twitter account is up on current events. You have nicknames for days, and of course, you have changed it to what in honor of tonight's show. 
Uh, I'm Terry P.T. Peer Brown because Dickie V is coming on, so you got to be about that P.T.P. 3S man, diaper dandy. Now, you and I may not be diaper dandies, uh, but we can, <laughs> I think we can be super scintillating and sensational. So I, I'm, I'm definitely excited. Yeah, and, and you know, 38, we can't say we're diaper dandies anymore. I'm going to see if this is the legendary Dick Vitale on the line right now, a legendary broadcaster and analyst for ESPN. Dick, is that you? If so, welcome to Cast Talks Wednesday with Vinny Hardy and Terry Brown. Hello? Hello? Are you there, Dick? Hello, hello Dick? Hello? 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 Are you, are you there, Mr. Vitale? you got to hear me. Turn it. Yeah, I'm here. I don't know what you got a bad connect. Hello? Are you there, Mr. Vitale? Yes, I'm here. All right. Thank you so much for coming on Cat Stalk Wednesday. We certainly appreciate it, sir. Well, you know, I'm happy to be on. I hope you guys can hear me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We can we can definitely hear you. We can definitely hear you. I know you're traveling okay. and, and, and busy and everything. We certainly appreciate that. Uh, I know the biggest sports news right now is the passing of, of Pat Summit. Uh, could you say a, sh- a few words about about that? Sure. You know, Vinny, uh, Pat was really, uh, as we all know, a legend, an icon, and she was a champ in the game of life, not only a champ as a coach. And I firmly believe, I know someone disagreed with me today on Twitter, but that's their opinion. Uh, I feel she's the greatest coach in the history of Tennessee athletics. Football, basketball, baseball, I don't care. Somebody brought up the name Nealon, and obviously he was a great coach. But what Pat Summit did for her sport and what she did for young women across this nation was so unique and so special. Not to mention, she only won a mere 1,098 games, the most <laughs> in sport women. Not to mention eight national championships. Not to mention 18 Final Fours. Give me a break. She's the greatest in the history of Tennessee athletics and really one of the greatest coaches of all sports when you look at what she's attained and what she's achieved. We we, we certainly uh, agree with you there, sir. I'm, I'm back well, now, Dick. I hope my connection is a little better, sir. I'm sorry about that. Uh, but she she took up women's basketball from the depths of nothing and actually pretty much built it herself, didn't she? Well, she started. She was 22 years old, named as the head coach. She was there for like 30, I believe, eight years or 24. She started at 24 and was there 38 years. You know, she was a lady about great loyalty, integrity. She was all of it. And she had a great sense of humor. In fact, I had forgotten about it, but it was reminded to me on Twitter, and I saw an article uh, in USA Today about it. Uh, One night I did a game down there, and she came out in that game. It was a Tennessee men's game. And she came out dressed up in a cheerleading outfit, and she had a hat on, a Tennessee hat that was like a mini pearl used to wear back on uh, the olden days. And, and, and I'm telling you, at the Grand Ole Opry, she came running over to the side, and she put the hat on top of my ball dome, and it showed a side <laughs> of her. We, we all know she was tough. We all know she was a disciplinarian. Uh, she was really all about the team, all about being fair as well. But that night, 
showed a sign of her personality, the humor part of it, and it was really great. We had a lot of fun. And somebody just put a, a thing up on Twitter, a picture of uh, uh, Pat and I hugging one another at the Final Four of the Women's in 2008 here in Tampa. Man, I'd love to get that photo. She's a special, special lady, a champion in every way. Yeah, she is definitely uh, going to be missed, certainly. And even as Kentucky fans, we can say that. So she had a huge, huge impact. Now, uh, Mr. Vital, you are probably the biggest college basketball fan out there. And with this past draft, we saw a lot of foreigners getting drafted. What is your take on the college state, on the current state of college basketball? Well, you know, I, I really feel bad for so many kids who I thought would have been drafted. Kids like <clears throat> Yogi Ferrell of Indiana. Kids like, you think about Troy Williams of Indiana. I think about Cal Barber, who led the ACC in scoring. Uh, you know, I have nothing against these international players. I mean, we go abroad and study uh, Rhodes Scholars in England, et cetera. But I do have a problem that I don't think that a real, real genuine feel is given to our guys. I think a lot of these players internationally are drafted on a basis that maybe down the road they'll mature and become a player. So what they do is they put them away, they hold their rights. Uh, I, I don't like it. I, I think if the draft had probably, I don't know the exact number, John Clay did a great article in the Lexington Herald about it. There were probably like about 34 or 36 international players drafted this year out of the 60 that were drafted. I don't know what bothers me about the draft. I think the NBA is guilty of it. They'll deny it. But I think they do a job of getting the word out to many young kids believing and thinking that they're going to be first-round draft choices. They tell them, you know, you're going to be a late-round first-round draft choice. So the kids say, wow, I might be a late first-round draft choice. Well, they tell it to about 80 kids, and there's only 60 to 30 that get drafted in the first round. Dick, Terry, and I uh, were both late 30s, so we've grown up as teenagers watching you on the broadcast from various different venues. Uh, at the Final Four, we see how busy you are doing March Madness. We see you on Sports Center all the time. My question is: is when the championship game is over, like this this year, Villanova beating North Carolina, what is Duke Vitale's favorite thing to do to relax, to get some downtime? What is your favorite thing to do when the season is over? Well, well just what I'm going to do right now tonight after your show. I'm going to be with my family, go out with them have dinner, and be with my family, whether it be going to a race game. I go to about 30 baseball games. I love baseball. I love concerts. We go to all kinds of concerts, whether it be Kenny Chesney, whether it be Rod Stewart, whether it be a, a Beyonce, whether it be Taylor Swift. I go to concerts galore. I don't think a lot of people realize it about me, but I'm a fanatic for concerts. Josh Groban, uh, I love all kinds of music. I love entertainers. Tim McGraw, Love him. Love what he does. He and Faith Hill. Uh, but I go to a lot of concerts, guys. Wow, that is that is awesome. Uh, my wife and I saw Fantasia last week in Charlotte, and we haven't went to as many as you, but we like to go and, and see a lot of concerts when we can ourselves. Well, Paisley's pretty good. He ain't bad, but he's no Teddy Chesney, man. 
Fantasia. Oh, Fantasia. I thought you said Paisley. Fantasia. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love oh. Kenny Chesney. Plus, he's a big Hoops fan. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. We started off talking about Pat Summit, and I'm going to shift it back to Tennessee. Um, we've seen a lot of three-point shooting, you know, with the Golden State Warriors in the NBA. Uh, a lot of teams are looking to go smaller uh, and spread the floor with shooting. I'm just wondering if you're surprised that Chris Lofton hasn't gotten a look in the NBA. We saw what he did at Tennessee. He's, of course, from Kentucky, you know, coming out of high school. Are you surprised that, you know, teams haven't been trying to get him, you know, on the NBA squad? Well, you know, he's had his opportunities, he's had chances, he's reached out to people. Uh, there's more to the game than just shooting the three at all. You know, you gotta, I'm not saying he doesn't have it, but I'm sure those scouts, if, if, if there was a, uh, if they thought he play, could play at their level, they would have definitely uh, signed him. So, again, uh, a three-point shot's valuable. But, you know, you think about Curry and his three-point shooting, he's great. But well, he's got tremendous ball-handling skills as well. He's really explosive with the ball in his hands, great first step. There's a lot of other parts of the game. I know one thing, though. Kentucky's got to be happy with Murray. He's going to shoot the three quite a bit down there in Denver and be very good. And I was so happy to see Tyler Eulis go to Phoenix where he'll hook up with Devin Booker, who had a really strong year last year. And the two of them, I've always felt, you know, in my heart, that if the two of them played more minutes together, I think Kentucky would have even been better. It's pretty tough to say that when they only lost one game. Yeah, a lot of the big blue nation looks looks back on that season with a lot of what ifs, but 38-1 ain't half bad. Well, 38-1, not too bad, John Calipari. They, they build statues for coaches with those kind of records. That's right. They certainly do. And what are, you, what are your thoughts, it's definitely very early, what are your thoughts on the incoming class this year, uh, Kentucky, as well as the usual suspects, you know, the Michigan State and the Dukes, and as far as how they gel and develop as the season goes on? Well, you know, Kentucky's got another tremendous class coming in. I just, uh, oh, some, well, ESPNU rated at number one. Some people will argue and say maybe Duke, when they got bold in to go with Giles and Tatum and Jackson, but you look at the depth factor, Kentucky's class rated number one again. John Calipari is a recruiting machine. He's got a great, hey, if he can recruit at Massachusetts and with the budget, his budget, his phone budget at Kentucky was bigger than his budget down at whole budget down at Massachusetts, and then you give him the beautiful facilities passionate fans that love the game. I love coming down there to do a game. I also, during the day, love going to the various horse farms, had a chance to take a picture, give a big hug to American Pharaoh. Over the years, I met Secretariat, Seattle Slough, a firm. I, I love Kentucky, man. One of my favorite places when they assigned me a game to go. We always enjoy it when you come to Lexington. I'll ask you one final question, Mr. Vitale. We're we're so grateful for you taking the time to come on our show. Uh, like I've mentioned, um, we've grown up listening to your broadcast, and whenever there's a tie-up during a game where the defense the defender ties up an offensive player, they have the alternate possession, you always, you know, admonish the league, the NCAA, to switch to a jump ball because that doesn't reward the defense. 
why do you think they haven't changed that rule? Why do you still think the NCAA keeps that alternate possession arrow instead of just a jump ball like the NBA does? They must be smarter than me because I don't see any use to that. I really don't. To try and tell me, well, we then refs don't throw the ball up, you know, the right way. They go here and there. That's all nonsense. At least in the last five minutes of a game, they should do that because it makes coaches now, you have to have strategy involved. You have to work on jump ball situations, jump ball plays. And I just think it adds to the game. Hey, I want to just tell you this, Vinny, and guys, I read that tweet from Tina Cox in the article she wrote, and I just want to simply say I was very touched by that, very touched. Tina is a great lady, Mr. Vitale. Terry and I have gotten to know her personally, and and what you see in that article is what she is in real life. She's a wonderful lady, and it's, it's amazing well, how you helped her out and the impact you made on her life. Well, I just really... There's no place in the world for bullying. Nobody should bully anyone. We should all love one another. I wish there was more love across our nation and our world and eliminate all this violence and all these unbelievable senseless killings. It just breaks your heart. breaks your heart that people can't get together and hug one another and be really, really in a scenario where they share love and passion for what life is about. We couldn't say it any better ourselves, Mr. Vitale. Well, i got to run now, but look, do me a favor. Tell your people, I know John Calipari, Rick Pitino, those guys have helped me big time. Very important to me, guys, is raising money for kids battling cancer. Nothing worse than a mom and dad having to battle that disease and watch their son, son or daughter battle it. Anybody would like to help me. Just go to DickVitalOnline.com, DickVitalOnline.com, and I hope and pray that they can make a donation, whatever it may be, for Big Blue Nation. Make a donation. You may save someone you love. Yes, sir. We certainly appreciate that, and we hope all of our listeners go out and do that right now or in the near future. Thank you very much, Mr. Vital. Hey, thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Go catch, baby. Thank, Thank you very you much. <laughs> Have a great evening, Dick. Take care. There we have it, TB. The legendary Dick Vitale just hopped on with us on Cat Talk Wednesday. Well, and here's the thing that I think people think that he is doing, a she is doing this. But this is how he is. He's just an energetic fun-loving guy. Uh, I forget what game I went to this past year. He was there, and he worked Rupp Arena like, like it was a room, like it was a party, like he was a, like he was a politician. He's talking to the players. He's talking to the coaches. He talks to the referees. He talks to the scorekeeper. He talks to fans around the court. He is just Dickie V. He loves life. He loves, loves, loves the game of college basketball, and, it, and it's hard – to not like him. I mean, he's, he's as genuine, uh, a big-time personality as I've met. And, uh, again, with the, with the uh, fundraising he's doing for cancer research through his own foundation, through uh, the Jimmy Fee Foundation, you have to just admire everything he's doing. Uh, he's no spring chicken, but he's still out there 
doing what he can to to make the world a better place. So um, you have to tip your hat to Dick Vitale. Yeah, he is 77 years old now, and uh, because he was born in 39, so his birth year is going to be what our age is, and our birth year is what his age is. We're 77. We're going to be 39. He was born in 39 and is 77, and he's been doing it like, I mean, our whole lives, TV, that, I was watching ESPN Classic, uh, and it was like the 1983 ACC tournament. So you had, like, uh, NC State won the title that year. You had NC State in Virginia, um, Thurl Bailey, and all those guys were going up against Ralph Sampson. And, you know, if we'd have had time, I would have maybe asked him. And I was listening to the commentators. I was like, it kind of sounds like Vicky V. Um, so this, he'd have been – you know, early 40s when he's calling his game. But he was so more – he was buttoned up, kind of. He was still – you could tell he was still new three or four years into his career as a broadcaster. He wasn't the guy you and I know in the 90s doing Duke Carolina. He was, like, kind of quiet and, and keeping the energy, trying to keep the energy from just exploding. Every now and then when somebody would get a dunk or something – you would let it out because I was watching and it took me a minute to realize. I'm like, oh wow, that's it's about town this game. Why is he so quiet? Because it, it just wasn't the dude me and you knew. But then, you know, of course, obviously, you know, a few years later, a few games later, he, he just kind of found his niche and you know the energy that we have known all our lives. But it's like he was just kind of kind of staying a little bit quiet. But you know, he found his style. And we know it, and everybody knows it. It's universally known uh, with the way he is on the broadcast. And you've seen him in person working the arena. Yeah, he's just a – I think there are some people, especially at ESPN, you can look and you say, okay, that's an act that that person kind of plays. But he genuinely loves college basketball. And and that's the kind of thing that that just struck me. You know, he he doesn't just talk to – the Tyler Ulysses and the Jamal Murray. He talks to all the players. He talks, I forget what, you know, who the other team was, but he's talking to those guys. Uh, And what gets lost in some of his excitement and bluster is he knows the game of college basketball. He loves the game of college basketball. Like you brought up, you know, every more than sort of game he's done, he is passionate against the alternating possession era. Every time it comes up. And I agree with him. It, it, it's something to be changed. Um, but he understands basketball. If you listen kind of in between, you know, a lot of the stuff he says, he, he understands strategy and different things like that. I don't think a lot of people appreciate that about him, but he knows basketball and he loves basketball. And he's a great ambassador for the game. And if this was an act, I mean – Eventually, he would wear thin, or he would he would just get tired. I mean, how you how you keep that up at that level for thirty plus years? I mean, we're pushing forty. How do you keep it going and not let the real you come out if that's not you right. being the real you on TV right. in front of the nation, game in, game out, and, season out, season? You know, for those folks that follow him on Twitter at Dickie V. Uh, you know, he's taking pictures with fans. He's he's reaching out. I mean, he's coming on our show here, you know, at the end of June, uh, 
because he wants to reach people, and you have to tip your hat to him. You really do. And uh, a big thanks to to Vicky V, to Mrs. Vital, and to everyone who made it possible for him to be on our show. They know who they are, and you and I, man, we can't be any more appreciative than we already are. That was that was unreal. Yeah, yeah, that's one of those pinch me moments. So well, we still got a, a little bit of show to do, so we'll try to uh, yeah. <laughs> come down off this cloud and, and and knock out some things we need to knock out. That's it. We'll take a, a quick little break. We got my dad on the line, Tom Hammond on the line. We'll get their thoughts. Let them chime in on the other side. Like you said, we got um, some more show to do. Uh, you and I will reflect. We'll talk a little more past Summit. Buddy Ryan has some, some legends pass away. Turkey Rupp, son of Adolph Rupp. NBA draft, like we touched on with Dick Vitale. Um, so a lot of other things to to get to, and we definitely will. Uh, you've been listening to Cats Talk Wednesday with Vinnie Hardy and Terry Brown on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. We'll be right back in a couple minutes. If you're on the line, stay on hold. We'll get to you. If you're listening, keep listening. We will be right back. Benny Hardy, Terry Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com, just had an electric, wonderful interview with the legend Dick Vitale himself. We'll let our two callers come on from Lynch, Kentucky. My dad, Mel Hardy, is on the line, and his longtime friend, Tom Hamlin is on the line from Hiram, Kentucky. We'll put both of them on and let them have their thoughts on interviews. Dad and Tom, how y'all doing? Hey. Hey, just fine, Benny. That was, uh, I got in a little late on the interview, but what I heard was great. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, I met met Dick Dick at the 
uh, Final Four in Indianapolis and uh, was really a fine one of the nicest people I've ever, ever met. And he is, he is genuine. He is the real deal. Really. Like you guys said earlier, you can't fake that for 30-some years. No. Uh-uh. So, yeah. yeah. And, like, and my thing is, he's like that, you know, he will – he will talk to Coach Cal, and then he will find, you know, someone in the stands, and, and it's the same. And I think that's what really kind of draws people to Dick. It doesn't matter who you are. He treats everybody the same, which is awesome. It, he, is. He, he, it is. He treats everybody like a superstar. Yeah, yeah, and, and he's got that enthusiasm no matter where you see him. Uh, he's always got that big smile, and uh, uh, people just radiate. I mean, uh, they, they just uh, – Magnetized by him. I mean, they're just drawn to him, and yep. uh, but he leaves he leaves you feeling good whenever you're around him. He does. He surely. I know it, he, it, out, it, it, he went out of it, his it, way to to uh, talk to me in Indianapolis. Uh, the, the deputy sheriff was trying to scoop him away. He said, "No, wait." He said, "I, I was in the I, I was the last one in line." He said, "No, I won't leave until I get to talk to that man right there." So he waited till I got to from to, to the to the end from the end of the line to him. And wouldn't leave until he got to talk with me. So I mean, you that's, can't, you, 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 that's somebody that's special. That is special. Yeah, you know, yeah. It really, and you know, really is, uh, uh, Dick started with ESPN. I think when uh, ESPN first came on, I think it was '79. And just think yeah. about the length of the time and the changes that he has seen in that time period. Uh, it's uh, it's unreal, and I'm sure when he started that he could not imagine what uh, college basketball on television, as far as what ESPN did for college basketball, he could not imagine what it would morph into. And, uh, right. You, you're right exactly. about that. Yeah. yeah. You know, I remember when ESPN first came out, I, I was I was on top of the world because I, I was a sports lover. But uh, you know, the majority—you you wouldn't have thought that the majority of the world would have taken it like like they did and and run with it, and it it gone from where it was then to where it is now. I mean, it is a phenomenon. And and Melvin, you and I are old enough to remember uh, back when uh, uh, prior to ESPN, you had the TBS network where yeah. you might get to see a couple of college basketball games a week. Yeah, and and what I'm yeah. just getting ready to bring out, I remember having to sit up and wait until after the 11 o'clock news went off to watch the replays of Kentucky basketball games, and I'd have to slip and sit up to watch the replays. Uh, exactly. So them wouldn't catch me watching them because uh, I had to go to school next morning. <laughs> exactly, and usually on, on on Saturdays you had one SEC game of the week. It yeah. was usually Kentucky, Kentucky but not always. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, during uh, the UCLA heyday with the John Wooden there, uh, Dick Enberg would usually be the announcer, and they'd usually come on about eleven or eleven thirty yep. on yep. Saturday yep. night. Yep. So, so and I, so yeah. that 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 was your basketball. That was fix. it. That was yeah. it. And you went from that to basketball every day, or you know, sports, some kind of sports. <laughs> I, I even got to watching uh, um, Canadian football on ESPN. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. well, yeah. They had it on a regular basis, and man, I had to have some guys addicted to sports. 
<laughs> well, and, and they they covered this real good in the uh, thirty for thirty on the Big East. Is that about right? How yeah, how the uh, getting the Big East college basketball package really kind of propelled ESPN forward. It, it's a you know I think that one is two hours, but there's a segment oh, yeah. on that, and and how ESPN really marketed and really knew how to take. It started with the Big East, obviously but really packaged college basketball and, and really made it a marketable sport. You know, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're not that old. Well, I'm not that old, uh, Vinny, but, but I, I remember kind of what you were saying. You had, you had one or two games, but you, but you remember when the ESPN two came out, when ESPN two, oh, came yeah. out, it was like, wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you could get, Big Sky, com, you know, conference basketball games. You can really. I can stay up and watch Idaho play Idaho State. Yeah, yeah, really? yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know what yeah. you mean. I really didn't care who it was, just as long as they was bouncing the basketball. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and of course, uh, yeah. the first, the first huge college basketball game nationwide that I can remember was '68. Uh, when uh, UCLA uh, played Houston in Asheville yep. down there, yeah, 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 and that, that's when it really—that's when it really took off. Right. Yeah. Uh, that was El- Elvin Hayes was with he. Was right. With he, was it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, right. And, and I love college basketball because versus college football, where you don't get a lot of big teams playing each other, college basketball is made for that. You know, because oh, yeah. if you lose one yeah. game, who cares? Yeah. You know, and, like, and now you know, with. And now they're they're having the big games early in the season with these preseason uh, tournaments, and man, yeah. you get to see some grand college basketball games early, which you used to have to wait to mid season or, or to see those games. Yeah, like right. we played Duke early last year. Yeah. yeah, even even if you're not a big college basketball fan, you know Kentucky and Kansas and Wow, yeah, uh, Fog Allen Fieldhouse. <laughs> yeah, sign me up. Just don't get no better. <laughs> Yeah, Kentucky going to Pauley Pavilion. Yeah, I'll watch that. Yeah, so you yeah. get that in college basketball that you don't get necessarily all the time in college football. Right, right. And well, hearing, guys, I, hearing y'all talk about hearing y'all talk about you know when the ESPN first starting out, just kind of like us, you know, Terry and I trying to tell our kids what it was like before the internet and Facebook and Twitter. They just they won't know because it's always been around. It's, and that's kind of the way right. it is. Yeah. So, yeah. not being hey, able I, to watch Kentucky in regular time, that's just unheard <laughs> of for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Ben and Terry, it's, um, I just had to, to make a comment about Pat Summit. Um, I, I agree with Dick Vitale. She, I think she is the greatest sports um uh, uh, coach or or, or or legend in 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 Tennessee, and I I'll never forget I I told you about this Vinny when she had won um, uh, four national championships, and they hired a new uh, men's coach to come in and coach the men's basketball team there at Tennessee, and I remember them telling what he was being hired in for I can't remember the coach that came in at that time but he wasn't very successful. But they hired him in at five hundred and fourteen thousand dollars a year. Well, that was fourteen thousand dollars, uh, somewhere along in there, fourteen thousand dollars more than she was making a year, and she had already won four national championships. I thought that was so wrong. 
but later on she eventually got uh, got hers and, and, and started to get the credit that she deserved. But that just goes to show you how uh, one-sided things were back in those days. Yeah, oh, yeah. Melvin, yeah. I, I read in the Herald-Leader yesterday back in 76, the uh, U.K. actually approached uh, Pat about becoming yeah. the U.K. Uh, wow. lady basketball <laughs> coach. And she, Can you uh, imagine? Yeah. They, yeah, they offered her. Here, here was here's the funny part about it. I think UK's offer was nine thousand a year, yeah, which was kidding. which was one hundred dollars more than she was making at UT, and she said yeah. she couldn't make she couldn't make the move for one hundred dollars. And they they wouldn't pay her moving expenses. That's what you think. If, if UK that she grew up rooting for Kentucky's men's basketball. Yeah. And yeah, she's always right. been a Kentucky Wildcat fan. And, and for, uh, for, for, for maybe, for probably $500, they could have got her. Five hundred right. more dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we, we could have had, had Adolph Brooks. We could have had Adolph Brooks, Bear Bryant, and Pat Summit. Uh, yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, <laughs> <laughs> that that's a great not, game of winning right bad there. Trifecta there. Nah, right? Not, not a bad trifecta. Yeah. <laughs> oh, me. But uh, yeah, bad. you know, it's I, I, I think I closely work. Yeah, I just saw a thing on on the news there that they're they're petitioning the name Thompson, renamed Thompson Bowling Arena to Pat Summit. I hope that does happen. Yeah, I hope that yeah, happens. They, really do. They, the whole arena, the entire arena. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because they got yeah. the court already, so they just switch it all over. Yeah, they want to name the whole the whole arena after Pat. Okay. Well, well, well she, she, she she earned all the accolades. Well, she she built the place. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. I mean, <laughs> they filled it up for the women, and and the men couldn't hardly get anybody to show up. Yeah, yeah. unless Kentucky was down there, unless That's Kentucky it. was down. <laughs> Bobby Knight made this comment that if he had to choose three or four people to teach people basketball, mm-hmm. she would be one of them. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Yeah! 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 And uh, so, uh, yeah, that's that's high praise, right? Yeah. I, I don't yeah. usually agree with Bobby Knight, but I will. Yeah, I will I'm, on I'm, that. I'm going to say about the same thing. <laughs> <Right. laughs> <laughs> you, you guys, you guys have fun. you guys handled the show really, really great tonight. That was a lot of quality. Yeah, I just wanted to express yeah, that did to you great guys. job. Sure did. Really did a fantastic job. Surely did. Well, we we certainly thank you guys for listening. And everybody else that's listening too. It, it, you know, there's there's a few perks to doing this, and that that's definitely one of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get off of here and let you guys do your show. <laughs> but thanks for uh, getting us on here, and uh, we'll hope to hopefully get on here again with you sometime. Yeah, well, we certainly I appreciate got a, it. Got a guy next week. Like we're talking about Pat Summit, of course, now, but. Eventually, we got a guy from in the media down here in Knoxville that's going to kind of come on, and we'll talk about her a little bit more because uh, they're having the memorial service for her at Thompson Bowling July the 14th. So it'll be kind of the week leading up to the memorial service. 
down okay. here for Pat. So we'll have we'll have him on next week, and he'll kind of reflect a little bit more too. So, uh, okay, and we might right. have well, other guests to work with. All right, yeah. well, guys, uh, thanks again, and and y'all continue the good the great work. Yeah, well, we I appreciate you guys. Right. Nice you appreciate it. And, and people, people, people tweeting about you. People tweeting about you, Daddy. They always like hearing you call in. Some of our All listeners right. always enjoy hearing you. <laughs> well, I'll I'll try to keep it going then. All right, take All care, right. son. Thank Bye. you. All right, talk to you later. All right. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, my dad, and that's of course. Tom Hamlin, Tom Tom called in as well when we had uh, Derek Ramsey and Sonny Collins on, and that's right. I think he uh, I think he was a year younger than my dad in school, and so they've known each other for you know since they were teenagers. Uh, for a period of time, they they even worked together. So so I've known Tom for as long as I can remember. You know, sometimes he would come up to the house and watch the K games. Me and my sister were little kids running around. Uh, so I've literally known Tom pretty much my whole life, and he's just as good a guy as you'll ever meet as well. And it's always good. I, I like uh, when your dad comes on uh, as well. So just a good, good time. Uh, I, t- I was talking to some friends the other day, and, man, 2016 is is, is rough with, with Prince, with uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, and now with Pat Summit, there's there's big shoes to be filled out there. This has been a very rough year for for icons. Um, yeah, just yeah. just rough, just rough trailblazers, they, really. David Bowie, Glenn Fry, Maurice White, Earth Wind and Fire, and and the same day as Pat Summit, Buddy Ryan, who was you know. Uh, NFL giant in his own right, defensive just mastermind. Yeah, the uh, Buddy Ryan, and, and again, d- defensive mastermind. I think that gets tossed around a lot, but uh-huh. if you watch, uh, and I know because the thirty for thirties, I think, are some of the best, not just documentaries, 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 whatever. <laughs> but the, the best overall They're just so well done And the Bears Leading up to you know leading up to their Super Bowl The Super Bowl shuffle is just phenomenal About how, how Buddy Had his own little fiefdom uh, For the defense and, and, and how the defense was punishing The Bears offense and just uh, Everything you wanted In a defensive coach uh, That was Buddy Ryan. Uh, and plus, he's got you know he's got Kentucky ties, and he and has had for a, a long time. So definitely, sad news for for Buddy uh, Ryan, his family, Rex and Rob. Uh, you know, uh, two defensive, two big time coaches in their own. Uh, but just a tough year for for a lot of folks. Twenty sixteen has just been rough. Yeah, um, my sister. Well, uh, yeah, she's a couple of years younger than I am. She'll listen, man, but she never wants to call. But she's a big sports fan as well. Uh, one of these times, I'm sure she'll she'll get on the line and actually call instead of just listening. But she's an RN, and you know, she's a, she works in Lexington. And uh, there were some times when a couple of years back, when Buddy wasn't as bad as he you know ultimately got, but she had gotten to 
um, you know, be the nurse for him and kind of take care of him. Uh, when you know he wasn't feeling well, she was talking about the, the humor was still there. You know, he was he was cracking jokes and saying stuff and keeping her on her toes, even though of course he uh, wasn't in good health at all. But you know, that was it was kind of cool. She had gotten to meet him and and he was still the mind was sharp, the wit was sharp, the humor was sharp, uh, even though he wasn't feeling well at all. Well, and, and and one thing about coaches and with Buddy Ryan and, and Pat Summit, uh, one way you can tell a coach and how good they kind of are at their job, number one, yes, the wins are there, the championships and all that, but it's how their former players come back and, 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 and speak of them. And during the Bears documentary, uh it was Mike Singletary kind of having some coming back to visit Buddy Ryan. And, and yeah. you hear now the stories of Pat Summit's former players that uh, just – to a person. And, and that's the thing, uh, you know, for all the stuff about Coach Cal, when you see him go in the Hall of Fame, you see all his former players come back in. That, to me, is a mark of a, of a great coach. And uh, not just a coach, but really what a coach should be, particularly at the collegiate level, is taking you from an 18-year-old boy, 18-year-old girl, and helping you become that, that man, that woman to take on the world. And using that metric, I don't know if there's anybody better than Pat Summit at doing that. 38 years, and every player that exhausted their eligibility graduated a hundred percent graduation rate that is ridiculous that, that just i mean are you are you kidding me and i know you know the wnba hasn't been around that long still 38 percent or uh for 38 years a hundred percent graduation rate and and stories coming out yes we know shamik holds claw and, and all the uh, candace parker those names but she was just as involved on the people at the end of the bench. I mean, that's a, that's yeah. a legacy that will, that will live on and on and on. We can, you can try to put an asterisk and say she was just a woman's coach. You can try to do that. I don't. You have to put her up there with John Wooden, with Dean Smith, with Coach K. She is, you know, again, I'm going to use my metaphor that I used to death. When you're talking about all-time great coaches, there's that select table, and Pat Summit is at that table. Not only for her wins and losses, what she did for the players under her care, but what she did for her sport. When you think about when she took over at Tennessee to where women's basketball was when she left, and she was, she was the driving force. That's, that's phenomenal. That, that's that's you just have to tip your hat and, and be thankful that, that someone like that was able to, to pass through our lives. You know, Kristen York, uh, friend of the show, friend of Cameron uh, Mills radio.com wrote a piece about it. You know, didn't want to like her, but you end up, even as a Kentucky fan, you had to like and admire uh, what Pat summit was able to do. Yeah. And, it's it's one of those you just throw you 
throw the allegiance aside. You throw the fandom aside. Um, you know, Kristen's been down here in Tennessee longer than I have. Uh, and so, you know, I can identify with it. It's just like you in Louisville with Louisville fans. Same thing down here with Tennessee fans. And Pat was just above all that. You you just put threw the fandom aside because that's how impactful she was. Starting at 22, coaching Tennessee, uh, you know, just fresh out of college herself, literally having to do everything to build a program. You know, coaches take over and, they, you know, we got to build a program. The foundation they have, any coach taking jobs now in any sport compared to the starting point, the ground zero with what she had, that is literally building a program. You'd like to say that a uh, defensive mastermind gets thrown around too much. Building a program kind of gets thrown around uh, a lot, too. I mean, you know, Pacino had to turn Kentucky around in 89, but he didn't have to, you know, wash jerseys and drive players to practice. You know, Kentucky already had a foundation and a tradition. Uh, he had to restore it. Coach Cal didn't have to start from nothing to clean up, you know, Billy Gillespie's mess. Pat literally started from nothing. You know, the, the women's game, women's sport, Title IX, all that was in, in, in its infancy. And she, I mean, literally, like, had to plant the seed and water it and wait for it to sprout and bloom and blossom and grow. Yeah, that's 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 phenomenal. So, our Vol Nation, and we know I'm not the biggest Tennessee fan, but you know our hearts go out to to you guys and to the uh, Pat Summit family. Uh, and just real quick, um, you know she had the same condition that my dad had with the early onset dementia, uh, Alzheimer's uh, type, and um, same kind of situation with Dean Smith and. and for her family, when you watch a loved one slowly but surely leave you like that, that is a torture I don't wish on anybody. So definitely, uh, you know, prayers out to, to her family uh, at this time. Absolutely. Um, well said. And we'll take another quick break before we get to hour two of the show. Enjoyed every minute of it so far in the first hour. Um, appreciate Mr. Vital. Appreciate the listeners and the callers. We'll take us a break. We'll be right back once again. Listen to Cat Talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy, Terry Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, BlockTalkRadio.com. Stay right with us. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Can't talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy, Terry, PTP, or Brown. Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Rolling towards hour two. A lot of fun. Um, talking about, of course, the, the sad moments as well, too, with uh, a lot of sports, Giants passing away. Uh, Buddy Ryan, too, mentioned uh, the effect that he had on his players and, and how touching it was when Mike Singletary came back to visit him on on the, uh, the 30 for 30. And when he was in Chicago, um, the, the it was almost – Divided. Now, I mean, they carried Buddy and Dicker off when they destroyed New England in Super Bowl Twenty. Uh, that's how much it meant, especially to the defensive squad, the defensive unit. Singletary, Richard Dent, Frederick Perry, Dan Hampton, you know, all those guys uh, that played. That's the first Super Bowl I ever remember watching in its entirety, and. At some point, Dickens just kind of like, you know, he didn't he didn't even really mess with Buddy. He just let Buddy do his thing because, <laughs> you know, Buddy wasn't going to have anybody messing with him doing his thing anyway, you know. He didn't take nothing from nobody. He didn't care if it was Dickens. He was doing his thing. He was running his defense. So in a lot of ways, it kind of seemed like Dickens was like, okay, hey, whatever. <laughs> I'll just oversee and, and <laughs> check out what's going on over here <laughs> and other parts of the team. And that's that was probably the smart, wise course of action. You know, it, it led to him winning the Super Bowl 15-1. Uh, um, you know, another team that went close to being undefeated, having a perfect season. But he just let Buddy be Buddy. He said, you know, you do y'all. And as <laughs> long as defenses are – putting up meager numbers. He just let them do their thing all year. It, and there have been great defenses in the NFL. The Steel Curtain, uh, when you think about the Purple People Eater, uh, you know, the, uh, oh, what do they call the, the Rams with Merlin Olsen and Deacon Jones? Is that the Fearsome, Fearsome Foursome? Yeah. Uh, there have been some great ones. And we've seen some great ones since then as well. But I don't know if we've seen a situation where the defense was bar none the, the, the headliner, as we did with that Bears team. And I understand what the Ravens did, you know, kind of with Trent Dilfer at quarterback. But the Bears had Walter Payton. And Walter Payton, I don't care how you shake it up, top five running back of all time, arguably. I mean, you, you, can, you can put him up there, uh, top five, top three. But they became the – they were the star. And uh, in, in that's all thanks to, to Buddy Ryan and his punishing uh, defense and uh, his complete lack of respect for quarterbacks. I mean, it's just uh, – <laughs> uh, he was – uh, I mean, he was he was great. He was great for it. So definitely, you know, um, condolences to his family and and to, uh, to Pat Summit's family uh, with both of those folks passing uh, here uh, a couple of days ago. I think it was, um, and we'll definitely get some some 
NBA draft talk and, and NBA free agency talk and all that. But I think, um, I don't know if it was Mike and Mike or NFL Live or what show it was. It might have been Ryan Rosilio or I think it was one of the ESPN shows. And Herm Edwards was on there, uh, you know, reflecting on Buddy Ryan. And I think Herm was in camp when Buddy first came in to whatever team Herm was playing on as defensive coordinator. And then Herm said he moved on to play for the Rams that season. But he just talked about how intense the meetings were on defense. You had to have smart guys on the defensive side of the ball. He talked about how teams that would face a Buddy Ryan coach defense, um, he said after hearing about the defense all week, the, the team that the Eagles or whatever Buddy team was coaching, the opposing team's defense would be like, look, we're getting tired of hearing about their defense. We got to show them that we can play some defense over here on our squad, too. So you knew going in it was going to be a low-scoring game week in and week out because the opposing team's defense wanted to rise to the challenge and not get shown up by Buddy Ryan's defense. So they want to shut the Bears down. They want to shut the Eagles down, whoever it is Buddy was with at the time. So that, that challenge – the other team's defense. Herm also said that your guy, Bill Walsh, as brilliant as offensive mind as you'll find, uh, as brilliant offensively as Buddy was defensively, said Bill Walsh's whole deal when he was going in to play and prepare for a Buddy Ryan coach team, that whole game week, it was all about just getting rid of the ball for the quarterback. It didn't matter how. And you think you're getting rid of it quick? Well, this week you better get rid of it even quicker. And, of course, Joe Montana, a smart quarterback he was, that was their whole deal, getting rid of the ball. Because, like you said, Buddy didn't care nothing about QBs. His thing was, of course, getting to him and knocking him down and beating him up any kind of way possible. Bill Wallace trying to counter with the quick get rid of the ball, you know, because Buddy's defense was coming. So get rid of that ball because they're not going to stop coming all night. So it was cool hearing Herm talk about the impact that Buddy would have even on the other team's defense when they knew they were about to play against Buddy. And, and, and that's the thing is when we talk about greatness, uh you know, I touched on this with Prince and with Muhammad Ali and even with, with Buddy and Pat Summit. It's not so much uh, – it, it's, it's that, you know, uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Like Buddy Ryan made you think about his defense more than you would the next team. You know, when Pat Summit was coming to town, you had to worry about what she was going to do versus – you know, even more than you worry about your own X's and O's. And when, when you're that great, you, you, you kind of cause that ripple effect. And, um, and that's really what, what Buddy was able to do with that defense is he made other teams uh, think about what he was going to do. Yeah. And that's, that's when you know you do it. 
So when you got teams and, and units and parts of teams that don't even have to face you, but they're wanting to equal or surpass you, you know, the 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 Lions, the Vikings, the Packers, they wanted to make sure they didn't get embarrassed when they were playing against that Bears defense. So, like you said, that's that's when you know you're pretty good when you're affecting everybody without even really going against them literally. Yeah. And one more thing, Seth, News too, we got to mention the passing of, of Herky Rupp, son of Adolph Rupp, uh, age 75, uh, played for Kentucky from 59 to 62 uh, for his father, Adolph Rupp, appeared in 14 games uh, over that span. Uh, Coach Rupp tweeted out how Herky was still a big supporter of the Cats, uh, immensely proud and honored that his father was one of the great coaches of all time. And talked about how much he'll be missed. So um, he was before our time, but yet still just as much uh, Kentucky as we are, even more so. Son of Coach Rudd, still love the catch. Was proud to be the son of one of the greatest coaches of all time. Uh, so sad news for the Rudd family, sad news for Big Blue Nation as well. Right, and with. Uh... With that, you know, Brad Calipari uh, is going to be playing for Kentucky this year and kind of continuing that uh, that father-son coaching, playing uh, combination because I know, obviously, uh, Saul and, and, and Tubby uh, and Eddie and Sean Sutton and, of course, right. Turkey and, and uh, Adolph Rupp. Uh, so that, that, that's, I know that's going to be a special time for the Calipari's like it was uh, for the Rups. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, everybody's word is Brad might play more than we, we've seen. As loaded as this team is, you know, Brad is, is working and, and can play. It's kind of the word coming out. Um, you know, can shoot the ball real well. So it might just be more than just a token appearance here and there. Uh, we'll see how it translates to, you know, the game situations and, you know, what he does, of course, in practice will carry a lot of weight, just like it will for anybody else. But we'll we'll see what what happens with Brad over the course of his career at UK. Well, I think Coach, didn't uh, Cal say this when he signed? You know, he's going to get a little bit extra or something because he's got an answer to his mom or something like that, so. Uh, I, I hope it's a situation uh, where it's better than when Saul Smith played. I think he yeah. got a lot of unnecessary flack. I mean, I've got a friend who, to this day, will talk about how much Saul Smith played in the 1998 championship game and complain about it. And I'm like, what do you, we won that game. But for whatever reason, for a segment of fans, Saul Smith is just the, the lightning rod for whatever reason. And I didn't think he was that bad of a player. You, you look at his uh, career numbers, I mean, they're not earth-shattering, but he wasn't, I think, as bad as, as a lot of folks kind of made him out uh, to be. Yeah, he was. And I don't know, maybe, 
you know, and that's, I don't even know if that's fair for a, a son of the coach to either be, like, awesome or just he comes in when we're up 30 and finishes out the last minute and a half of the game. Saul was kind of in the middle, so I don't know. And like I said, it's not, that doesn't mean it's fair. He was solid, and maybe there were some that thinks, well, he, he played too much. But I don't – I mean, who was better than Saul when he was playing? And it was – him being in the middle kind of just made it dicey where he wasn't just a scrub, but he wasn't a star, and so he just couldn't win. Yeah, you know, people complain. Everybody remembers the, that Penn State game where the Crispin brothers went went off. I think they were 10 of 15 yeah. from three combined or something ridiculous. Yeah, well, Saul Smith, wow. X, Y, and Z, two of them and one of him. So whoever he was guarding, <laughs> somebody was guarding the other Crispin. So you know, it, it, right. people just look for things to, to, to be <laughs> aggravated about. But I, I think this go-around, uh, I'd like to hope that uh, – that, that Brad and and uh, and Coach Cal, uh, I think it, it's going to be a better situation because I don't think uh, Cal is going to necessarily take the high road if there's somebody with some cheap shots for his son. I don't see that in him. Kind of, you know, Tubby never really made it an issue. I don't think that he's going to let anybody say anything about Brad. Uh, you know, that's kind of out of bounds. That's just my interpretation of, of how Cal is. Yeah. And speaking of the 98 championship game, won by Kentucky over Utah, 78-69, come back Cats, overcome the 10-point deficit. Saul Smith played seven minutes, TV, and didn't even take a shot. Yeah. Seven minutes. Didn't even play 20. Yeah. Didn't even play one-fifth of the game. Didn't he play 20% of the game? The only person he played more minutes than was Michael Bradley, who played five. Uh, Cameron Mills played 12 minutes. So you in the bottom two of minutes, Saul Smith, Michael Bradley. Then you go on up to Shimmy Evans, McGlure, Shep, Turner, Nas, Patton Edwards. Seven minutes. What's your friend doing such about seven minutes? No, uh, okay, okay. Uh, Kentucky fans are crazy, and they – I mean. My thing is, you can't really complain if you win a championship. I'm not complaining about that. That's like yeah. looking up Mark, Marcus Teague's free throw percentage from the 2012 game and being aggravated. <laughs> that's just looking. That's looking for trouble. It's like why we? I mean, whatever you disagreed with about strategy, we won the game. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I just don't understand. It's like, I, and I knew that Saul hadn't played a lot that game, but it's. I mean, almost every time he brings that up about how Saul uh, played too much and uh, this, that, and the other. So, um, you know, that's that's just some of those fans will never be happy. You know, my thing is, if, if the 2015 Cats had gone 15 and 0 or 40 and 0, somebody mm-hmm. between Louisville and Lexington and London, between Pikeville and Paducah, somebody. <laughs> Would have found fault in that, yeah. Because as we as we got to thirty eight, no, we got to that point. Some people who were on Twitter weren't happy with that. And if your team is thirty, 
you know, 32, 33-0 going into the postseason. What, what is it that you're looking for them to do? What more can they do besides win all the games? So some people are just born to be happy or unhappy, I should say. Right, yeah, not not happy unless they're unhappy. I mean, Kentucky shot better than 50% for the game, 15 of 17 from the line, you know, three-point land. They didn't have a great game from behind the arc, but, look, is he down 10 in the national championship game and, and to come back and win by nine, so a 19-point swing? In the second half, I mean, I mean, <laughs> well, you know. and, and here's here's my thing. This this uh, I'm working on a piece, Wildcat Blue Nation. It ties into the NBA draft, and uh, I engaged some Twitter trolls on NBA draft night talking about Coach Cal and underachieving and this, that, and the other. Um, a lot of Rival fans, particularly those in red, will tell you any other coach with that Cal's talent would have won more championships. Uh, championships are hard. They're hard to win, and they should be hard to win. Getting to Final Fours are also difficult, which is why we celebrate them. I'm not going to talk to anyone that, that that discounts a Final Four appearance. I mean, I had someone point blank tell me the 2014 team was underachieving, even though they were NCAA runner-up. That I don't understand. Uh, it, it's all about perception. We look at this year's draft, and for whatever reason, there's even a segment of Kentucky fans almost taking glee that Scal fell to the bottom of the first round, went later than a lot of people thought he was going to go, which I don't understand. Uh, Scal's a great kid. This was just a weird draft, as we talked about with uh, Dick Vitale. 34 foreign-born players out of the 60 drafted. That's a lot. That's a lot of teams doing the, uh, the draft and stash of these foreign guys that impacts a lot of the American-born players. Yeah. And even players like Scal that played in college. So I don't know if this is the draft that you want to say, hey, Cal's way is not working, or, you know, guys that left early. This was just a weird draft class. Outside of Ben Simmons, there was no real big, you know, no sure thing. So this is just one of those drafts where you just you, you roll the dice. And if you one of these foreign guys pans out, you're a genius. If not, you can get a talented, you know, uh, American college player for a little bit cheaper at the end of the first round and into the second. I think we're going to see a lot of these college players that went undrafted. I think we're going to see a lot of them signed. I think when the season tips off in October, we're going to see a lot of these guys on NBA rosters. Uh, some of the players that uh, that uh, Dickie V mentioned, uh, I'm no Yogi Ferrell fan, but I think he can find a, his niche in the league. Uh, Kyle Wiltshire, uh, I believe he got signed. You know, uh, we're going to uh, see a lot of that, and, and that 
you talking like a three year deal with my Rockets. Yeah, and and that you know, and and that outside of sure things, that may be what we see the draft become. You've got your maybe two or three sure things in the draft. Then you start going for these kind of random foreigners, and then you kind of get these college players. I, I think, you know, I was watching it with some buddies. I think that's what we're going to see uh, because these, when you draft these foreigners, you know, you're not hitting the salary cap. They still get to develop a little bit. Uh, so it makes financial sense, even though as fans you're kind of left like, okay, what am, what am I watching? Okay, we got the draft rights to this person. Well, what does that even mean? You know, we're three or four years away from even making an impact. And unfortunately, you get a lot of really, really great college basketball players that, you know, kind of almost get forgotten about. It used to be the seniors, but now it's, it's guys that have good freshman seasons, a good sophomore years uh, that are also getting left out in the cold. So it's a uh, – this draft was just a weird, weird draft. And the, the definition of mock, you know, when you think mock, you usually think make fun of, tease something, or anything like that. If you're mocking something, that means something is there. You know, they might mock the way, you know, at the park, guys might mock the way you shoot. They might mock the form on your jumper. Oh, man, your jumper broke. Your jumper's busted. They're mocking. They're mocking something tangible that they can see. This dude's jump shot is hilarious, so they're mocking it. These mock drafts are all before the draft. So, it's, you know, there, it's, you're trying to predict it, but it, it's, you know, it's simulated. It's, it's not real because the draft has not taken place. You're trying to guess and predict. Scal, so we saw flashes of what he could do throughout the year. We saw, you know, when he had it rolling, facing the basket. We saw the touch on the jumper. We saw him run the floor. Uh, saw the potential there. So, Mock Draft still had him as a lottery pick. And probably didn't have a lottery pick here. We, you know, if he'd have put it together more, could he have been a lottery definitely. But he still won the first round. So, you know, you don't have that pressure of being a lottery pick. He's still in the first round. Still got some guaranteed money. And hopefully you can get that second contract. So, you know, it's it's not like the sky was falling because he didn't go in that top 13 of the lottery where all of the mock drafts that take place before the draft had him go. Well, and here's the thing, too, that some of our rival fans uh, point to how Scal, before he played for Kentucky, was, was mocked to be in the – you know, number one overall pick, you know, plays for Cal yeah. and, you know, goes to 28. And this is what I love when they throw out. Well, Cal really coached up Anthony Davis. You know, Cal really, uh, you know, Carl Anthony Towns as a way, those guys are going to be number one. Regardless. And I understand that. You know who they don't mention is Archie Goodwin. I can't find anybody. And I was an Archie Goodwin fan when he was at Kentucky that thought he was going to get drafted. And he's been playing in the league for a few years. I didn't see that happening. So there's this notion, again, that Cal recruits. He doesn't coach him up, even though 
every forward player he has, from Derrick Rose, Tyreek Evans, all the Kentucky guys say, my game is better because of Coach Cal. And but we see that in the short year they're there. I mean, we Carl Towns got better in after the new year, you know, in February and March than he was when he first started in November and December. Anthony Davis got better, you know, leading the March Madness than he was throughout the regular season. So that I mean that doesn't that doesn't just happen. The talent is there, but there's still some development. Uh, in those guys' games. You know, A.D. wasn't shooting, you know, the 15-footers, you know, right after the Big Blue Madness. He, he wasn't. But he started to. He started adding it in. Carl Towns throwing up jump hooks over both shoulders wasn't happening in October. But it started happening as the season progressed. It, it, and here's where we are with the Cal Kent coach. This is where we are. The Cal Kent coach people are up there with the 9-11 truthers, the conspiracy theorists that think we didn't land on the moon. Because no matter where you are, where you come from, and you can show these people just unbiased, objective, objective data. Well, Cal is an overrated coach. You know, four Final Fours in five seasons. The list of coaches that have done that, John Wooden, Coach Krzyzewski, John Calipari. Look, like him or not, you do something that gets you on that list, you're a good coach. And when you say this, they say, oh, yeah, but he still can't coach. And they just reject all objective data to fit their own narrative. Well, Cal has had all these great players. John Wooden didn't. College basketball players all time. And when we get your dad on, we can talk about this. You've got Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Bill Walton are usually one and two. They came one after each other at UCLA. Of course you have to have great players. Of course you do. When you look at what Coach K, his whole run started with Christian Leitner. And I know we all hate Leitner, turnaround shots. The shirt, I still hate Leitner. He's in your top four or five college basketball players. Grant Hill, he's up there. Yes, you have to have talent to win. My whole thing is the target for Cal at Kentucky, it, it's championship or bust, which is not fair. It simply isn't. It, it is not fair to make it – you can't dismiss a Final Four. You can't do it. I, I won't let you do that in, in conversation. If you look at his losses in the tournament, the only one that really sticks in my craw is the 2015 team. And I, I think that's mostly because of being so close to history. Look, the NCAA tournament, the best team doesn't always win. That's why people watch it. If the NCAA tournament went straight chalk, would people tune in? Would would you? If if it was just one seeds all the way to the final four, then the number one overall team won every year. No. But but we like it because that Cinderella can get hot and take out one of the big name schools, as long as it's not your team. 
you know, the John Wall team, unfortunately a cold shooting night against a, a team that was coached to, to exploit the, you know, the Cats didn't have great outside shooting. That happened. 2011, I'm not going to get mad about losing in the Final Four. You know, 2012 wins it, 2013 not in 2014, I'm not going to get mad about that. Those times losing to UConn in 2011 and 2014, they were higher seeded. I mean, I, I, yeah. I got into it with this Louisville fan. He said uh, his, his response was, well, UConn was the first number seven seed to ever win in 2014. I said, we were number eight, which is not as good as number seven. <laughs> You, yeah, you 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 look at West Virginia uh, in 2010, and then you look. It took all the way until uh, this year to lose to a lower seeded team. Wisconsin was a, another one seed in 2015. Cal doesn't lose to lower seeded teams in the tournament, and even this year, just looking at the seeding, yes, we were higher than Indiana, but you have to bring that rivalry equation into it too. Indiana, they circled the wagons for that game. This Kentucky team was flawed. So when you look at each individual tournament loss and you say to yourself, okay, they're understandable losses. I don't think we have a head scratcher in there. We use like, I I didn't see this coming. A cold shooting night is going to happen. Playing your rival in the tournament or one of your rivals in the tournament, you're going to eventually lose. Those things happen. You know, in 2014, the magic is going to run out, same way in 2011. So, as a Kentucky fan, do I want more championships? Yeah. But, and and Vinny, correct me if I'm wrong here, don't you have to get to the Final Four before you win a championship? Is that how that works? Uh, You have to get to the Final Four first? I think so. I think that's how it works. if I've got a – if I've got a coach that since he's been at my program four Final Fours in seven seasons, if he keeps going to Final Fours, doesn't that increase your chances of winning a championship? I could be wrong. I could be mistaken. But if I've got a coach that's routinely getting us to the Final Four, I'm okay with that. And I don't know that there are, you know, they always have these straw man arguments Well, Kentucky fans, you know, aren't happy. I don't look. I hang out on UK Twitter. I talk to a lot of people. I haven't heard this groundswell against Coach Cal. Have you heard anybody? This most people I talk to said this is this is a great time to be a Wildcat fan. This is a great time. Yeah. Final yeah. four. Yeah, Meredith we had Meredith Hornsby on the Alabama uh, writer for BamaHammer.com, and she's telling her kids the same thing we're telling our kids. It's not always like this. It's not always, you know, for her national championship game in football and playoff game football, it's not always Final Fours for us. You know, we've suffered through big Billy Gillespie. She suffered through Mike Shula. And so, yeah, this is <laughs> – Enjoy it while it's happening. Always like this. It's not easy, even though it is like this right now. 
Yeah, and, th- and that's 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 the thing is this is a pretty good time to be a Wildcat fan. Yes, last season, okay, last season fell short, but man, I'm always going to remember what Ulysses Murray did as one of the best backcourts I've ever seen at Kentucky. I mean, this is for this day and age what Cal is doing. It's remarkable, even for Kentucky standards, and. Like like Dick Vitale said, number one recruiting class going into next year. Kentucky is being talked about. This is this is what we want. Of course, listen, say all this. I want more titles. Yes, I do. The NCAA tournament started in 1939. We've won eight championships. UCLA has won 11. They don't, and that's you know that's one and two. They don't give these things away. They're hard to get, and they should be. But if you've got a coach that's bringing in the talent to make you competitive every year, that's really all you can ask for, honestly. And that's what we have. We dominate the recruiting. And here's the thing, too. Pat Forty tweeted out, uh, and I think we touched on this last week when you look at, uh, he said, you know, Cal dominates, you know, early June with the draft, but all the coaches that have won championships in the last four years, conveniently stopping after 2012, mind you. But they act like Cal has not had on-the-court success. This isn't other programs that have brought in top classes that have petered out. Arizona has brought in top classes and have had just one Elite Eight finish here recently. Outside of this year, North Carolina had been on a run of bringing in talent and not getting very far in the tournament. When you look at it objectively, over the last four seasons, Duke has won 116 games. Kentucky has won 115. And Cal's underachieving? Duke has won 11 <laughs> tournament games. Kentucky's won 10. Really? That's, that's, that's a huge difference. Really? Come on. It, 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 it's narrative. And uh, I usually don't engage those trolls, but I, I, I did that. And speaking of, you know, we've been back and forth on the NBA draft and, and Kentucky's seasons and success and all that. And Ulysses um, to Phoenix, Murray to Denver, Scout to Sacramento, um, you know, uh, I, I scouts in the first round, but Sacramento front office wise is a mess. Outside of the run they made when they kept getting you know denied by your Lakers with you know Kobe, Shaq, and Steele, they've never been good. <clears throat> So from that standpoint, I, I hate scouts out there. Uh, as I'm glad Boogie and Willie are out there. Uh, but when we talk Sacramento, we're talking about a team who continues to flirt and has flirted in the past with trading cousins to your Lakers within the division, which that's pretty much all y'all need. That'll keep the Laker big man tradition rolling, and that'll – you know, be the first cornerstone to getting your Lakers back to being 
you know, where they want to be. They've always had the big men, and, you know, right now they happen to have one. You know, Andrew Bynum was supposed to be the next guy after Shaq, and it just didn't work. If they, if, if they ever trade Boogie to L.A., you know, it's going to haunt them forever, you know, when, when, they, when they face each other. So I, I just hope they can get it together. You know, George Carl's finally fired. They got Memphis' ex-coach, Dave Yeager, there now. I, I want to see them do good because they haven't been good forever. They got a bunch of UK guys as well, just, you know, almost like Phoenix. They got all the big guys. Phoenix has all the guards. I hope it can be a good situation for Scal, uh, as well as Boogie and those two. You know, Boogie just been out there balling, putting up numbers like Mitch Richmond did, and you don't really have anything to show for it except, you know, some all-star games. So I hope they can turn it around sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, Sacramento is definitely uh, outside of that stretch where they kind of fell into all those pieces. Um, mm-hmm. They haven't been fantastic. Uh, so that that's not the best situation. Uh, so I hope that kind of changes around. You know, I, I for yeah. one, hope Boogie ends up in, in, uh, in L.A. because uh, I'm still not convinced that my Lakers are headed in the right direction. But you want uh, you want Boogie, as you said, you want him. I, I, oh yeah, I definitely want uh, yeah. Boogie okay. in, in yeah. LA. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm a fan of that uh, because for whatever reason, he still is. And, and this is this is what winning does for you. People call Boogie a hothead, and he gets his technicals. And there's all these jokes and tweets about him being on the Olympic team and what kind of commotion. Uh, Nobody has really said anything about Draymond Green, who has just as many or more technicals than Boogie, and now has a pattern of hitting people in the groin. That's okay, but but Boogie, that's that's winning covers. You know, it's all about that perception. And uh, and Boogie, I think he needs to be in a situation where he can contribute to a winning team and and and, and kind of shake off some of that negative energy. Yeah, um, I meant to pull up the the roster for the Olympic team. What did you think about the roster? I know it's Kyrie Irving, Harrison Barnes, Clay Thompson, Boogie, DeAndre Jordan. Raymond Green, I'm just trying to think about the top of my head. It's, it, I mean, you know, it's, it's not top tier, top tier, and I understand why all those top tier guys did not play. If I'm LeBron and I just won a title for my city, I'm soaking that up, and I don't think I would play in the Olympics either. You know, forget all the Zika stuff. I just, if I'm from Cleveland and win Cleveland title, I'm chilling out and, and enjoying this summer, you know, in my city. Um, well, uh, but well, it, it's pretty decent, you know. Uh, I think it's a pretty decent squad considering. Uh, is Kevin Durant playing? Uh, no. No, I, okay. I've got the roster right now. I know Durant is not playing. Uh, I'm getting the roster now. But the thing about LeBron is, he, I mean, he played in 2012. Yeah. Oh, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is playing. I'm sorry. 
Okay. Uh, Carmelo, Harrison Barnes, right. Jimmy Butler, no. Demarcus, no. Demar Derozan, uh, Kevin no. Durant, Paul George, Draymond no. Green, Kyrie Irving, DeAndre Jordan, Kyle Lowry, and Clay Thompson. Wow, kind of loud. And we, we remember the last time we saw Paul George in an international play. I groups in that one. Yeah. I'm surprised he's playing again. Wow, okay. Well, the quote I saw from him, he said he gave his leg last time, so he wants to go out and get the, get the medal, uh, get the gold medal. <laughs> my, only, my only concern is when you look at and, – and let's go ahead and just say, okay, the 92 Dream Team, they're in a class of their own – and should not be used for comparison. Let's just put that out there. But typically what we have seen is we have, in the interim since then, we have had a lot of pass-first point guards, Jason Kidd and uh, Chris Paul. I'm going to be interested to see how uh, Kyle Lowry and Kyrie Irving, who is point guard in name only, I want to see how uh, how they run the team. International ball is a little bit different. Um, it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to watch how they do it. You know, talent wise, I think America has always had the advantage, but teams are getting better. You know, overall, individually, the talent's always been good. So, I don't know if if Kyrie's style it, he's going to have to change it up a little bit. Uh, to really make the Olympic team work. Uh, I think Durant, with just his freak of his freak physical stature, I think it's still going to cause a lot of problems. Because uh, was it the World Championships? The, I think it was the 2014 World Championships when, when he went just berserk and kind of elevated himself uh, as, that, as that next guy. Uh, you know, I'm going to watch uh, the Olympic basketball. I've been watching uh, the swimming that's been on, uh, qualifying team uh, stuff. I'm all about the Olympics. The uh, opening ceremony is on my birthday this year. So me and my girls are planning to watch the Parade of Nations and all that kind of uh, stuff. So I'm, I'm excited. Uh, even though this Olympics has the potential to be a disaster with Zika, <laughs> with <laughs> With everything else, uh, I still enjoy watching the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I remember watching in '08. You know, the ceremony in Beijing, and that was just incredible. <clears throat> London was good. It wasn't on that same level, but it was very good as well. Um, one question too, though. You talked about. Kyrie Irving, point guard in name only, so you have to question that and how he will distribute and facilitate when he's out there on the court to rest of the guys. The other thing I questioned about Kyrie, just coming off of a title, just won his first title, I'm, I was surprised that he played as well. You know, I thought he might, you know, I'm the champs, you know, not going to kind of lock it back in and play. I was saw him on Twitter, you know, he's he been as the kids say, he's been turned up on that yacht. So I didn't think he was about to focus and, and lock it back in 
to play any more competitive basketball until the start of the 2016-17 season. But he's playing, so I'm just I'm just wondering if he will still be in celebration mode or if he really is going to be locked in. And by locked in, I mean all about trying to get buckets and no assists. I just wonder how his mindset is going to be. Well, and, and here's the thing about that is, you know, LeBron won the 2012 championship, and uh, he played in the Olympics that year. You know, the 92 Dream Team, and I know I wouldn't bring them, said I wouldn't bring them into it, but uh, Jordan and Pippen played in the middle of, of their run. So it's not unprecedented for guys coming off their championships to play. The question which becomes into with LeBron is he's had a tremendous amount of miles on his tires. And this this is a break I think he he deserved. Played on the last three Olympic teams. I think he's played on the last three uh, Olympic teams. He's he's kind of done his service. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm not too uh, upset about that. Uh, no. But my con- my concern about Kyrie was my concern going into the NBA Finals is is how much of a facilitator is he going to be. When you, you really yeah. need that, and when and we've been used to that with uh, USA basketball, um, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. There's a lot of guys that can go get theirs without a doubt, but I think it's going to be something uh, we, when you really need a facilitator out there to really keep everybody happy. Uh, that's going to be one of those subplots. Also interesting is uh, if the U.S. win the gold medal. Kyrie Irving is going to play more games for Coach K as an Olympian than he did at Duke. <laughs> <laughs> it's what it is, you know. And I'm, I'm with you. I agree with you where you said Jordan and Pippen won their titles and they played, and LeBron won in 2012 and played. So, yeah, it's not unprecedented from that standpoint. But for a player to win in the city that he is from and be the primary player like LeBron, that is unprecedented. And we know about the drought that Cleveland went through. So from that standpoint, it's not like Jordan and Pippen were from Chicago and LeBron wasn't from Miami when he won in 2012. So if I'm from Cleveland and win a title, for the city for the first time since Jim Brown in 64. I'm I'm not planning the Olympic season. If Louisville had a team and you led them to an NBA title, would you be playing in the Olympics or would you be enjoying your title in Louisville? I, 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 would, I would play in the Olympics, but would like LeBron, really? I mean, he's – yeah, I mean, he's played in six straight finals. He has played a lot of basketball. Uh, over the last couple of years, he deserves a break. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and with him being from there too, I think that carries weight. Even if, oh yeah, yeah, maybe if he had some won, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe if he had to play at twelve. Maybe he would still play now, even though he just made Cleveland to a title. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wasn't blaming and, LeBron for skipping this year. No matter what he had done, you, when I oh, was yeah. spending my time in Cleveland and soaking up, or, or wherever I'm going to be traveling, 
and just soak that up because, I mean, it's once in a lifetime for so many people up there. Yeah, uh, and also in 1996, Pippen played again after winning the title with the Bulls, and uh, Gary Payton uh, off those Sonics teams that that, uh, fell to the Bulls in the finals, he also played. Uh, on the 90, 1996 uh, team, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just looking to see who you know who was on those teams and, uh, but you, you gotta you gotta factor in this is a lot of basketball for a lot of these guys. I mean they they they're giving yeah. up a chunk uh, of their time uh, to do it. Uh, I saw Pau Gasol is going to play uh, for Spain. Um, I know for a lot of these countries playing on your national team, that is that's the peak uh, in a lot of these places. So I am glad to see uh, a lot of. I mean, there's some top tier guys on this year's team. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. like to see those guys going going out uh, and representing their country. Um, you know, it's time. It, you know, my mind it's time for LeBron, uh, for Carmelo, Chris Paul. Those guys step back. And now we got a new crop of guys, uh, you know, that are ready that are ready to go. Yeah, and you know, free agency is starting up soon for the NBA too. For those who aren't playing, for those who are playing, Kevin Durant is playing, but he's, of course, a target of every team. <laughs> even though it might just be a one-year deal if he does anything at all, if he leaves at all. I uh, saw an article where your Lakers have everybody on their list, wish list, Harrison Barnes, Hassan Whiteside, Al Horford, Nicholas Platoon, L.A. is it sounds like they're going to swing for the fences. Do you think they they get or draw some decent players in? I know you still don't know what the plan is, but uh, Luke Walton is down there now. I think some bigger names are going to go. Kobe's retired now. It's going to be somebody else's team. Somebody else got to be the face of the Lakers. You think they get, you know, a big hit in Frenchy? Do they trade D'Angelo Russell or what? What happened? Well, this this is really, uh, you know, I've talked about this as Kobe's career drew to a close. This is really kind of uncharted territory for the Lakers organization. You know, even, I think, even if uh, – uh, Jerry West was was gonna you know come back in some kind of capacity. It's just interesting because I, I don't know if they can go out and and get those per those, those persons those people like they used to. Uh, L.A. was kind of the the um, I think the cool franchise. I don't I don't know. I, I I'd like to think that if the Lakers came calling, players would listen, but. You know, I, I don't know if that pool is necessarily what it once was, uh, which I think is Junior Bus failing to to plan for after Kobe. Uh, I've said it before; I'll keep saying it. You know, historically, no team has has replaced not just great players, but historically great players like the Lakers. It's like they always have they always have one more. Uh, guy coming down the road, um, so I think that's a um, that where they are right now. I don't know if you know if they can go out and, and woo a Kevin Durant. I don't know if that's a 
uh, a possibility. I hope so, uh, but I just don't know. They can swindle the kings in and get new cousins. That'll, that'll, you know, that'll get y'all back on the right track. It'll restart things. I don't know if it'll happen, but the idea of Sacramento was even flirting with it. I thought, my goodness, you know, just help the Lakers continue to beat y'all. I mean, that's <laughs> Well, no. and, and the Lakers have, have been fortunate with uh, historically getting some kind of one-sided deals. Uh, Pau Gasol to bring him in, I don't think was uh, I don't think they gave up a whole heck of a lot to do that. Uh, I forget how the we got the pick for James Worthy, but didn't give a whole lot up to get that. So we've we've been fortunate with some trades and bringing people in. Um, but but I don't know if right now uh, I don't know if the the front office can do it. Yeah, just not a lot for you to be confident about, I guess. No, I'm I'm I, I'm I'm not. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what Luke Walton does as as coach. Um, so I don't know if I want to bring in a. a a star or, or just develop the young guys. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence when I'm glad I'm not the GM because that's a decision you have to make is do you try to get your young guys experience this season to have another kind of mediocre year uh, and then, you know, shoot for something next season. I, I don't know. Those are extremely tough uh, decisions. Yeah, Absolutely. Switching to Louisville news, we kind of talked about it last week. Um, the President Ramsey and the um, the board and all getting removed. Joe Sanka from InsideLouisville.com <clears throat> tweeted this afternoon, U of L President Ramsey says he, quote, looks forward to working with this new board, end quote. Guessing no resignation letter just yet. So is it going to somehow work that he's going to continue to stay the president? I mean, after all of that last week, I don't know. I mean, this is this has become, and with Bevin starting to appoint kind of random people with a lot of other baggage to the board. Look, I will chuckle at U of L athletics shenanigans because I do find it humorous that that's athletics let them lose all the games whatever but putting people on the board that's that's a that's a real life consequence and and I don't know if I said this last week but I'm saying it now as a citizen of the Commonwealth of Kentucky we want UofL to be the best it can be as an institution of higher learning and if Bevin's going to remove one board with its issues and bring in people that have been supporting him politically that don't necessarily, I don't want to say, yeah, I'm going to say that might not have the qualifications to, to be on the board of a university. You're, you're just traded one evil for another. And I, I don't know if that's the way you want to go. I don't think, I don't think this is going to be the end of that. 
uh, you know, we live in a litigious society, so there's going to be, uh, you know, the uh, attorney general uh, will chime in. There'll be other things as this moves forward. This is just a bad look, I think, for the governor and a bad look for the university. Um, There's no winners to this. It's just ugly, and it looks bad. And I I think if this situation drags out, it's just going to be a negative for the university, Uh, very similar to when you look at, you know, Coach Matthew Mitchell and the U.K. women's program. You've got all this momentum, and all of a sudden you're kind of stuck dead in your tracks, and and you really have to start over from ground zero. That could be what what the U of L as a university is forced to do, uh, if a lot of what uh, Governor Bevin's trying to do comes to pass. Yeah. So a thought that there was resolution, but maybe there's not really much of anything, even though it's just a, a much do about nothing right now. Like you said, it's a bad look. Well, yeah. Well, the the thing is, uh, President Ramsey, I think, was in a got-to-go situation. Too many little minor things coming up, not a good look. The, I think the way the Board of Trustees wasn't really as open as they should have been, that's a bad look. I mean, you're a public institution the this, this, this shroud of secrecy I don't think is a good look. Uh, you know, and I don't know if this is how UK's board operates. I, I don't know. Uh, I know that uh, as far as the universities with Kentucky, UK being a land-grant institution, it's handled a little bit differently than UofL. UofL can do a little bit more fundraising for different things that UK can't. A lot of UK's projects have to go through the state uh, General Assembly, so it's a little bit different in how that all works. But you have to be transparent. And when you're not, and when it comes to light that uh, Ramsey is rece- receiving this extravagant salary and, and package, that, that's a little tough for people to swallow. As higher education you know, gets more and more expensive, that's a tough sell for a lot of people. Uh, and I think that's one of those situations. That's what he was in the gats to go situation. And when you've got investigations and just all kinds of things going on, you need a breath of fresh air. But I don't know if Governor Bevin's going the right way to do it. Yeah. So, like you said, hopefully some things happen where it doesn't get any messier and look any more inept than it is, but. Um, let's not hold our breath at this point Yeah And it's not a good look And, and I take zero Glee in this uh, uh-huh. We can talk about The, the scandal for U of L basketball you know, I will chuckle and throw out some bar- This is not a good look This is uh, You know the number two University in the state Dealing with this It is not a good look for con- uh, Kentucky as a whole. It it really isn't. Yeah. <clears throat> and just switching real quick to last few minutes, uh, we've heard this story before, heard the cautionary tale before, but Antoine Walker wrote a letter to his younger self on the Players' Tribune site about, you know, the instances throughout his career 
in the NBA where he should have said no to friends, to family, uh, to some of the debts that he racked up and to some of the occurrences that got him into the financial situation that he found himself in. Um, so it was a honest, truthful read, you know, a hindsight type of article about how he could have and should have, you know, done more to protect himself when he was playing and, and making the money that he made in the league. I think as far as as, as, as players go, I think uh, Antoine Walker, one of the, the best to, to play at UK. Uh, you look at his resume uh, and what he did in the league. His financial issues have been documented. The thing is, he's been very upfront with it and about it. He's yeah. talked about yeah, that's it. What and, that's what uh, yeah, I mean, he was in that, and I think I've plugged the ESPN 30 for 30 uh, a lot tonight, but he was in that talking about, you know, uh, players going broke and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and he still is. Uh, able to be that voice of reason and, and go out and, and tell these young kids, look, you can get $100 million and still end up broke. It's possible. Yeah. And, it, and it's really not that hard. You know, uh, I've talked to people and they're like, oh, these guys, how can you go through $100 million? It's not as hard as you think. When you've got entourages and you are being stupid with money, it's not that hard. Yeah. It, it, it really isn't. Uh, when you're spending as if the money has no end, and we all know at some point you will retire, you will stop bringing in money, yeah, you can, you can definitely uh, yeah, spend $100 million. It's not it, – and it, and it really, it's not that hard. I mean, yeah, you have to make some, some bad decisions, bad choices, but it's something that – you know, I don't look down my nose at those people who have done it because I can see me doing it. And you get guys that are 18, 19 years old, and you give them a $100 million contract. Look, man, I was 19. I was working at uh, the Seton Center on UK's campus for, I don't know, 6 $7 an hour, whatever it was. And I was acting a fool off that. Okay, I was being ridiculous. I, I remember I was I, when I got the bump up to ten dollars an hour, and I was trying to make it rain off ten dollars an hour, Vinny. Okay, <laughs> way back when, teen, and I've got a hundred million dollars. You can't tell me nothing. Yeah, which I think in, in these 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 leagues and, and players like uh, Antoine Walker are doing a I think a better job of telling these guys. Hey, you've got to be smart with this. You may have, you may sign a contract for a hundred million dollars, but that ain't what you get. You got to pay taxes. You got to do X, Y, and Z. You know, you got to pay taxes on where you play. You got to do. I mean, there's things that go into it that I think a lot of these guys uh, they don't know. They 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 honestly don't know. In that documentary, Andre Risen. First time he said he ever got a paycheck is when he played for the Falcons. He's expecting, you know, his check to be X. Uncle Sam's got to get his share. And he had the GM explain to him how it works. You know, that makes for a good story and a good chuckle. 
you know, and Cal wanted to institute something at UK to educate these guys on coming into big money. NCAA said no, but I think it's going to be beneficial. You cannot yeah. give a 19, 20, 21-year-old $100 million. Can't do it. Can't do it. And we can laugh and we can joke. I know I couldn't handle it. Vinny, good Lord willing, in 30-plus days, I'll be 39. If I got $100 million on that day, I'm going to act a fool for a little bit. That's just how it goes. Uh, <laughs> but these the point fingers and say, if I want, yeah, I'd, I'd invest in the stock market. No, no, no. We would all do something <laughs> stupid. That that don't 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 sell me this. It's, it, you know, you make this money, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And I can't believe these kids would buy cars. I would. I'd buy a fancy house. I certainly would. Uh, so when you've got somebody like Antoine Walker and some of the others to um, you know to be that voice of reason for these kids, that that can only be a good thing. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. So yeah, it's. You know, kind of providing some insight as to, you know, don't make the same mistakes I made and letting people know that it's, hey, like you said, it can happen, and here's how. I'm proof that it can happen. And for y'all listening, any portion that goes a few minutes past eight will be on the podcast, blogtalkradio.com slash cat talk. But, yeah, it's just, you know, like the NFL is going in, having these rookie seminars, um, teaching guys, you know, how to act in the offseason and, and trying to keep a rest down and discipline down and, and just giving some examples of decisions that you don't need to make and, and choices that you need to avoid. It's, it's all about trying to trying to teach them and trying to educate them and that way the same mistakes won't be made over and over and over again by all these individuals and players coming into these situations that others have already been through. Yeah, and, it, and it's good, you know, even if you don't have the, the Chris Carter get you a fall guy. Uh, yeah. But you, you want to have some of these uh, former players come and, and offer that advice. And not everybody is going to listen to it. Like I said, these guys right. coming into money, coming into fame, you're not going to reach everybody, but you you have to at least put that uh, you know, your best foot forward and, and say, I, you know, this is why you need to pay attention to these things. Absolutely. We'll close it up. I just got to give a shout-out to your Baltimore Orioles. I just pulled the standings up. 47-30, and 30, TB. You kept talking about a yep. few weeks ago how it's early. It's early. We're almost to the halfway point. They almost got 81 games in. Five and a half up on Boston. And we won't talk about my Braves. We'll just keep it all Baltimore. We'll keep it all positive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, they've had a pretty good run since last summer when I officially made them the my official uh, new team. Uh, I'm going to break down and eventually uh, get a uh, – I think I'm going to get the All-Star Game caps this year. Yeah. Um, uh, they're pretty – I usually don't do the All-Star or the – Fourth of July, or the Memorial Game, those are always kind of gimmicky. But these this this year they look pretty nice, so I may add those to, uh, to that collection. Although the next cap I have to buy, I promised my little miss. Uh, her name is Lauren. For those who don't know, uh, she is LB, 
and the Louisville Bats here in town, the minor league AAA team of the uh, Reds, they changed their uh, scheme. So their caps say LB on them. And she has oh. made me promise that my next uh, my next cap will be the LB of uh, the Louisville Bats. So once I do that, I will do some other uh, do some other things. Yeah, so you gotta gotta take care of Little Miss first. Gotta get that done, and uh, gotta get that LB marks off the list for sure. Yeah, your Orioles, man, sixteen and seventeen on the road, which every team is worse on the road, but thirty-one and thirteen at home, and that looks like the best home record of any major league team. Not even the Cubs or any other contending team is that good. Thirty-one and thirteen in Baltimore, man. Y'all almost unbeatable at home. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm. I, and here's the thing: uh, I don't usually pay attention to baseball till after the All Star break, which is pretty much kind of where I am with the NBA a little bit, because uh, that's when it really starts going. So I'm going to actually start watching some games and being uh, being more involved. But I follow uh, some really good Orioles fans um, uh, that kind of keep me in the loop, so I know what's going on. Uh, CM sports fan uh, Mike. Uh, on Twitter, he's a Wildcats uh, UK fan and an Orioles fan, uh, and we we uh, we interact quite a bit. He's a, he's a Ravens fan too, which I'm not a fan of because he likes to talk about that Super Bowl. But uh, other than that, he's a, he's, a, he's a pretty good guy, and uh, uh, yeah, we we are rooting on the O's. There you go, and um, Cleveland is in first place as well, so it's something in water. Ohio now, I mean, the Cavs finally break through, and if Cleveland keeps it up, I mean, they'll have a shot. They'll come playoff time, so I mean, now it might just be like Domino's. Titles forever, for everyone in Cleveland. Well, and you you know, lately that's kind of how it it has gone. You know, Boston went on a pretty good run uh, here recently with the Celtics and, of course, the Patriots. The, um, Red Sox and the uh, yeah. Bruins all winning kind of together. Uh, L.A. has kind of had that run as well. You know, no football team, but with uh, the Lakers. And it still hasn't been that long since the Lakers won, so let's not get too crazy. But with the Lakers, the, the Sparks, uh, and the Kings uh, uh, all winning. Uh, so it, it kind of gets clumped like that sometimes. And of course, the New York teams uh, have had good runs as well, so – Maybe it's Cleveland's time. Maybe it's their time. Absolutely. Well, man, we had a another fun show started off blazing with the legendary Dick Vitale coming on, and we couldn't thank him enough. Uh, appreciate him coming in. Um, Michelle Morton has you know, tweeted at him and, and us uh, while she was listening. She's going to catch the podcast. Uh, Dick even replied to our Cast Talk Wednesday tweet um, before he came on. We talked about how it was going. He was looking forward to it. It was fun. Hope everybody tuned in. So uh, appreciate Dick taking the time to reply to our little show Twitter account. Uh, very nice of him and just a genuine guy. We talked about that, um, how he is 
when you seen him in Rupp Arena, my dad's interaction with him, I hope to see him in Rupp Arena coming up to cover some games this fall as well. So we truly can't thank Nick Vitale enough. Uh, Mrs. Nick Vitale's wife, Lorraine, uh, swapping emails back and forth with her and confirming Nick's appearance on the show. But everybody else that played a part in bringing Mr. Vitale onto the show. So, man, it was awesome. We were excited. We were hyperventilating, trading Twitter messages back and forth before we came on, and it just worked out. It couldn't work out any better. Uh, just outstanding. I'm totally uh, uh, excited uh, uh, about it. So we had a good run. Another good show. Looking forward to, to next week. But, yeah, having – uh, having Dick Vitale, that's that's a that's a special thing. I'm very excited about that. Absolutely, got a couple guests in the works. Like I said, guys, trying to get a member of the Knoxville media on, talk a little bit more uh, about the late great Pat Summit, um, maybe some UK football as well, and we'll try to get that lined out. We will have another good fun show. It's summertime, and that doesn't 